Welcome, everybody, to the Unregulated Podcast. <laughs> eh, just generally the unregulated life. This is episode number 35 here on Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. Um, it's also my mother's anniversary, so I want to um, say something like happy anniversary to her. So I'm just going to do that. Um, and while I'm clearing out the the um, the chores from last week, I was, I was hit by a listener. Um, about the Congressional Review Act and its origins, and I was told that Senator Nichols had something to do with it, which I'm going to give him credit, although I don't really like that, um, and that um, Janet Senna and Barbara Bankoff, um, two stars in the Dole office, were the um, stewards of that enterprise. Okay, so you, you unwittingly gave Kyle credit for that. No, no, Kyle deserved He was involved, credit. too. Okay. Kyle was in the middle of it, too. But it's they just, wanted their just desserts uh, it was a reasonable request, reasonably requested. So I thought, sure, why not? And if uh, if if our listeners recall the first and only use of it prior to President Donald J. Trump, which I'm happy to use his his name, um, was when George W. Bush got elected and we uh, overturned an ergonomics ergonomics rule, rule yeah, from the Clinton that. era. Yeah, I was trying to remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was the uh, Labor Department of Labor wanted it to regulate or to they clamp wanted, up they, on, on uh, the ergonomics stuff. They wanted so. – it was because it was, was going to ding everybody who had home businesses, right? That did – you know, typical, typical end, of, end of cycle Clinton stuff, right? So we cleared that up, and always, if there are any inaccuracies or if, if we misremember something, uh, always, our listeners, don't please. Don't call us. Don't, don't call hesitate us. to call no, us. No, don't call Give us. Give us some suggestions. Please hesitate and think about what kind of person you want to be, and then if you absolutely have to, do so. Okay. Uh, where would you like to start today? I, I have a few things. But uh, I think you wanted to talk a little bit too. So oh, uh, it's uh, been a, it's been an, it's been an incredible it's been a week. Yeah. It's, it's been an incredibly it's consequential six seven days in here. Um, the two things at the top of that are um, the results in Texas six right um, where the uh, I think it's Susan Wright and Jake Elsey right uh, the Republicans were the top two vote getters in that in that. Uh, special election, and they locked out the Democrats. Right, not a huge surprise. It's it's Joe Barton's old district, right? Um, but he had been trending the wrong way for the last three cycles, right? Uh, I think sixteen, you know, won it by sixteen points in sixteen, and then nine, and then just three in the general election in twenty twenty. The total Republican vote on that thing was sixty two percent. Total Democratic vote was thirty seven percent. Twenty five points, right? Um, which leads me to a couple of thoughts right out of the gate. Uh, I, and not having looked at the actual turnout numbers, but I suspect they're bigger than you usually get in a special. Um, we now have some quantification about two things. Um, one is what is the Biden drag on a, on a Democrat? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is we now have some quantification about what's the Trump drag on a Republican. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, we, we know the combined, it looks like it's 22%. Um, at least in this here district, right? It that's bad news for um, Speaker Pelosi. It's bad news for President Biden, and it's bad news for President Trump. You know, the three there you rarely going to run across somewhere where those three are wind up on the losing end of this thing. It's going to be bad for Pelosi because there's all kinds of members now who are going to be looking at that and, and placing that intellectual template over their own district. Yeah, right? as, especially as now we're already into May, as I mentioned, yeah. Cinco de Mayo. So we're, we're past the 100-day mark. 
Yeah, we're starting to, you know, people are starting to think about, it's funny you say that because, you know, the, the, one, the one note I have scratched down is candidate recruitment, right? This is tremendously important for a guy like Tom Emmer because what he can say now is he can go to people who are thinking about challenging Democrats and say, look, um, the Trump thing and the Biden thing, the Trump um, anchor and the Biden anchor, we know could be as big as 25 points in your district, right? I'm, they'll get more precise with, with um, research data, right? But it's, um, it makes it a lot easier to recruit good quality candidates if you can look at something like this and say, hey, I, I'm not just making stuff up anymore. I actually have like some real live voting numbers. Um, and they, they tell you a story that whatever moderate Democrats you're looking at, they're vulnerable, right? Yeah. Um, and this uh, coincides with an article from Politico today, in fact. Not a good omen. House <laughs> Democrats majority squeezed. Yeah. Texas special retirements redistricting highlight just how hard 2022 will be for Dems. Yeah. Dems have jumped. Uh, this is Allie Mutnick. Yeah, Allie Mutnick. Sarah Ferris. Yeah. Democrats have jumped to argue that the latest House special election outside Fort Worth. Doesn't, hit me. Doesn't mean that much. <laughs> right? It's not a good omen. It's not a good portent for 2022 that we got shut out, said Jana Lynn Sanchez, who failed to make the runoff by 354 votes. I'm sounding the alarm bell today, and I'm saying we really have to work hard. I don't even know what that means. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it. I'm assuming she thinks that they've been lazy so far. Um, I, they've been pretty aggressive spending money, so I'm not sure what she's talking about. But you know, you look at the retirements and the and the folks running for Senate, right? I just scratched, scratched out what we've been talking. All right, Connor Lamb in in Pennsylvania is going to yeah. raise his hand. So is um, Chrissy Houlihan, right? She's going to run in that race too. So Susie Wild probably, right? So um, you know, in Florida, uh, Charlie Crist has raised his hand um, to run for governor. I want to say, yeah, governor. I think that district is is. Gettable, right? If you're a Republican, as is Connor Lambs, as is Chris. Yeah, Connor Hulahans. barely survived the last. That's right. Of. That's right. That's Thanks right. to a horrific score on his American Energy scorecard from the American Energy Alliance. You know, when when I was talking with guys in Pennsylvania about that, that came out three yeah, or four times. I, I, I well, in all fairness, truthfully, in all fairness, um, in Pennsylvania, in Western Pennsylvania, it's tough to be a Democrat unless you're in a district drawn for Democrats because you can't be anti-energy, um, and you know. Connor has to be, right? So Ann Kirkpatrick in the Tucson seat, Philemon Vela in the Rio Grande Valley seat, Ron Kind in Wisconsin. My own, um, you know, in Virginia, we're looking at an election this year, right, where the Republicans are no worse than, than a jump ball to um, take a lieutenant governor and the attorneys general and regain the House of Delegates and maybe even beat Terry McAuliffe in the governor's race. If you're sitting in a in a in a congressional seat in Virginia in the 7th or the 2nd, right, which are traditionally Republican seats held by two Democrats, you 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 look at Texas and you start thinking, that's my district. Virginia 7, my district, right? Traditionally Republican plus 10, plus 12, plus 14, you know, died in the 2018. Um, if I'm Abigail Spanberger, I'm waking up this morning thinking, do I raise a bunch of money and try to hold off the inevitable challenge from somebody credible? Or do I start to think about what I want to be after I'm done being a congressman? It, it's important, right? It's more important than just not a good omen. It, it's, it's a quantifiable bad thing um, if you're a Democrat. The other thing that happened 
to move away from from the practical and the important to the insane. The other thing that happened that nobody's really said anything about is Tim Scott just blew up about oh, about a third of the Democratic platform, right? Um, you know, by getting up after the president's speech, let's call it that, and saying that America um, is not, in fact, a racist country. Yeah. And immediately, this is just so, this is so remarkable that I'm, you know, you machine gun uh, Bill McGurn at the Wall Street Journal um, wrote a column on it. I'm going to try to write a column on it for Monday. He, he pointed out a couple of things. He's like, the day after, both the vice president and the president were asked, hey, is America a racist country? And both of them had to take two giant steps back. And this is this is from a president who not two weeks ago had talked about how, you know, the, the stain of racism across American history and blah, blah, blah. Come on, blah, man. Blah. It's like Jim Crow on steroids. Yeah, he's, a, you know, that it. So Scott blew that thing up, right? Um, yeah, and me, it, and should then, I play a clip of it? Just uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but that. I want, hold but on. I want to cycle back to one other thing that that happened right afterwards. It was interesting. All right, hold on. Our president seems like a good man. His speech was full of good words. But President Biden promised you a specific kind of leadership. He promised to unite a nation. Our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in. The actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions, we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. Nowhere do we need common ground more desperately than in our discussions of race. Yeah. You know, Those are clips, by the way. It wasn't, yeah, wasn't no, no, continuous. No, no, no. There was like a little super cut there. No, it, it, two, two, three other things that, that, that real quick that, that happened in the wake of that, right, that I thought were interesting. One is the next day. So the next day they got the, the vice president and the president to take one great big giant step backwards from critical race theory, right, and the idea that racism is embedded in institutional and um, systemic, right, um, which – personal opinion, that's nonsense, right? Um, and president and the vice president now agree with me, which I'm not sure they did before, right? The other thing, the two other things that happened, they also, somebody got a hold of Ron DeSantis the next day and asked him about, you know, hey, is America a racist country? And Ron DeSantis said, you know what, that's horse, he used a little sharper word Fuck than me, you. right? Yeah. That wouldn't happen without Tim Scott, right? And Ron DeSantis running for president in 2024 can't possibly let Tim Scott um, get to the right of him on this. What Scott did empowers everybody. Uh, and and I was having um, lunch with an RNC uh, official yesterday. And first question, they sat down and out of town, or right, a committee person. They First thing they sat down and said, hey, can Tim Scott be president? I'm like, you know what? In a world in which Joe Biden can be president, anybody can be president. So, yes. 
the last thing that I thought was interesting that happened all together, like in the same 36, 48-hour window, right? There was a survey that came out in Seattle about do you want more policing or less policing in your neighborhood? Well, guess how it turned out? What was it? What was it? About two-thirds, one-third. It's about 65-35 split, right? Um, they wanted more policing. I think that the fever has finally broken on all this stuff, which is great if you're an American. Yeah. Um, just like if you're just walking around America and you think about America first, you don't worry too much about political party. Terrible if you're a Democratic political operative because that's like a, a good chunk of your yeah. battle plan <laughs> for the next two yeah. cycles. You're already well deep on on defund yeah. and all that. Yeah, you're, Plus, you're, uh, you're talking about the crime rate, the homicide rates spiking. Yeah, in New York City and others, and you know you got Cuomo now openly sparring De Blasio to try to deflect a little bit from from yeah. Cuomo Gate. It, it, so it, um, I'm encouraged. I thought it was great. It's rare that one. It's rare that one person makes so much difference with a five minute speech. It, he did a good job. I watched. It changed. It. it changed the entire chemistry of this particular equation, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm grateful, and I think we all should be grateful. And that that that's you know yeah and and judging from the you know level of vitriol from the left about oh it, good uh, lord so <laughs> it must have hit a nerve or sure two. man well that Uncle Tim thing right yeah I that's great. I um real nice real nice the um it, the funny thing is is that this kind of stuff is not. It's not conducive to whatever the Black Lives Matter guys want. Calling a guy like Tim Scott an Uncle Tom or an Uncle Tim or whatever is not conducive to making that happen. It, it, it's counterproductive no matter how you play it. And for the media, and it was mostly driven by the media or at least ignored by the media, it's shocking to me. Also, the other thing, last thought on this, Twitter's a horrible website. And everyone should get off it immediately. <laughs> it's I don't it's think, hard because I get a lot of my material from of course, Twitter. It's a great it's a great content provider, but it's a terrible, terrible place full of awful people. It is it is everyone that you would not engage with in person lives on Twitter. Everybody, They're, yeah, it's and, just bad. And the reporters who hang out there, they really do themselves a disservice because they do, they're I'm telling you. Bleeding their their biases uh, out loud. Jack Dorsey's Jack Dorsey is I'm sure a lovely person, but he has created something terrible, and he needs to. I don't know that that's. I guess that's where it was logically gonna gonna go. But when I first started doing Twitter, it was kind of fun. Like you just you know post some stuff, and it's where all the anger and the pathology of the United States goes to fester. It is also where I got this gem of a clip. Oh, it's boy. just so much easier to pull clips. Uh, hold on. Ready? Once lobbies, he's not a registered lobbyist, but he lobbies on behalf of some of the world's most left-wing corporations. A lot of people do that. Here's the interesting thing about Frank Luntz. At the same time he's doing that, he also advises the leadership of the Republican Party. So Frank Luntz works for Google and Nike and Delta Airlines, among many others. Several years ago, Frank Luntz advised the makers of OxyContin on how to blame rural Americans as thousands of young people in rural America dropped dead of opioid ODs. Frank Luntz did that. So he's not someone that normal people would go to for advice. And if you were running the Republican Party, you definitely wouldn't because Frank Luntz is effectively a Democrat. We know this. 
because we've listened to him. Now, Luntz typically launders his own opinions through the pseudoscientific focus groups that he conducts, but in real life, his views, make no mistake, bear no resemblance whatsoever to the views of actual Republican voters. That's true. Well... That's, I mean, that's, that's aggressive, but it's true. It has, the, it has the virtue of being accurate. It is aggressive, and, and there's a little bit more to the story. Can, can I just, before we get to that, can I just make sure. one quick observation? So th this is a subject about which I know something, right? Frank was a year ahead of me at school. I've worked with him and for him and uh, around him on projects for years and years and years. Um, Tucker Carlson's wrong about one thing, right? He says that Frank's personal vibe is Democrat or whatever, right? I forget exactly how he phrased it. That's not true. His personal vibe is Frank Luntz. That's correct. Yes. Frank Frank couldn't possibly care less about any policy. Um, he he um, you know, he just wants to make sure that whatever happens, he's in front of the parade. Yeah. It was there. There was somewhere I, I read where he was upset that Bob Dole didn't want anything to do with him. During his uh, during his presidential run, why would he? You know, so, Bob Dole. Whatever. I don't what, understand. Whatever. Whatever failings Senator Dole ha has, he's a serious person. I mean, you you, you, you don't survive on what should have been a, a a a death experience on a hillside in Italy in World War II unless you're a serious person. So, so why, why would you take that seriously? So, well, one last thing before we leave on this. Before, no, I'm before not we go to the next. No, thing, before I'm we go got, to the next. I got something else to say about this. I know you do. I just they, they, there's there's a story from college that's worth telling, and so I'm going to tell it. When he was a senior at Penn, there was a columnist for the Daily Pennsylvanian who wrote a column about Frank because he was a student agitator, right? He was a he was a he was an agitator back in college, right? Guy wrote the column um, about how, you know, Frank was an attention whore and how he really just cared about getting attention, right? And at the end of the column, he, you know, finished it off by saying, you know, the biggest fan of the and, and it, was, it was a negative column about Frank. And he, but at the end of it, he said, you know who the biggest fan of this column is? Frank, because it's all about him. And... You know, it, it was the perfect summation of Frank then, perfect summation of Frank now. And to the extent to which the Republicans listen to him um, is, yeah, and is that's, always been disturbing. Okay, that's the point. Uh, what I wanted to say is uh, I have long complained about the level of not influence, but um, the level of access that sure. he's had to the Republican sure. leadership. And, sure. And his stuff is, you know, tainted with his corporate um clients yeah. he's all you know it, it doesn't matter where you are. he's the one who started to you know inject uh the need to address the the climate issue from a political perspective right uh into the republican uh you know uh, leadership's head but <laughs> i couldn't figure out like okay well i mean i guess what, what's the story here and and tucker revealed something else on his show, I think. Did you say this was a two-parter? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the this is the other part. This that is I the second caught. part. You ready? This is the second part. In an interview earlier this year, once described Kevin McCarthy as a personal friend, and that relationship gives Frank Luntz outsized influence over the Republican Party's policy positions. So Luntz is a personal friend of Kevin McCarthy's, who's the top-ranking Republican in the House. That's what we said. Turns out we didn't know the half of it. Over the weekend, we got a call from a source who said that, in fact, Frank Luntz and Kevin McCarthy are not simply friends, they're roommates. 
Kevin McCarthy lives in Frank Luntz's apartment in downtown Washington. That's what we were told. And honestly, we did not believe it. The top Republican in the House lives with a Google lobbyist? Come on, come on. Even by the sleazy and corrupt standards of politics in Washington, that did not seem possible. In fact, it sounded like a joke. But this morning, since we heard it, we <laughs> called to check with Kevin McCarthy's spokeswoman. And when we raised this, she all but chuckled at the suggestion. No, when he's in Washington, she told us, Kevin McCarthy rents hotel rooms or sleeps in his office in the Capitol. He certainly isn't living with Frank Luntz. Okay, and that seemed logical to us. But we did press a little bit because we got the tip from someone we consider reliable and we just wanted to be sure. So the spokeswoman said she would get back to us. Two hours later, we got this text, quote, following up on our conversation from earlier today, because of the pandemic, McCarthy has rented a room in Washington at a fair market price from Frank once. So actually, the top Republican in the House does live with someone who lobbies for Google. Mystery solved. Not okay, now. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, um. I also uh, encourage my our our listeners to go to the show notes and pull the clip because there's a lovely image yeah, the, 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 <laughs> in their nighties in their bunk bed. <laughs> it's just perfect, it, uh, but it would it is funny, but it's it's still it's a little bit sad. It really is. It's just a little bit sad. It, it um, Rang Luntz is not is not does not have his finger on the pulse. Of the uh, conservative well, uh, slash oh, Frank Republican hates, Frank hates conservative establishment, whatever, who, whoever you want, He's, his finger is on one pulse, as you pointed well, out. Well, I mean, you know, the thing about it is, and this is this is important, right? The thing about it is, used to do great research, used to do great research, but stopped doing research somewhere in the in the you know two thousands and early two thousands, just stopped doing it, right? Uh, or giving it off to other people and not not do it himself. Now he just talks, and that's cool, but. As as Tucker Carlson points out, um, it means he tends to talk his customer's book, and that's a problem, right? And you and I have chased him around the hill about climate change for oh, years and years and years. So but, painful. you know, one, one – I'm not sure I could tell this story. I think everybody involved is either retired or out of the business except for me and Frank. So, yeah, I'll tell this story. I, we, we had a customer, a joint customer, uh, who wanted us to do some research in the wake of a particularly traumatic experience. And this customer said, look, under no circumstances are you, just, are you to come back to us and tell us that the problem is X, right? Or that we need to support a particular piece of legislation, um, which which would have um, been completely contrary to this organization's principles and beliefs, right? So I'll be damned, right? We go do focus groups. We do a couple surveys and, you know, there's a clear pathway to, to not have to go back and tell them X. Um, you know, you guys got to be in favor of X. Sure enough, at the pitch, you know, Frank leads with, you guys need to get on this legislation. And, you know, the association basically kicked us out. So literally, we literally told you not to tell us that, right? We literally told you, like, come back with a different answer for us. And that's Frank. He didn't want to come back with a different answer. He wanted to come back with the answer he wanted to come back with. He didn't even want to come back with the answer the research came back with, right? He wanted his answer. It's it's a it's a huge freaking problem. And I'm There are plenty of pulse great pollsters out there. I know at least one. Plenty. I know Plenty. at least one. Plenty. I know at least one. Yeah, Dave Winston does make a hell of a of a cupcake. Um, I'm glad Tucker did it. Yes, he, it, it, he it's did. it's about time, right? Yes, absolutely. It, it's about time. You know, I, I'm looking forward to 
Um, I'm looking forward to Trump finding out that that Frank was walking around in the West Wing like on a routine basis. Yeah, I'm sure that's Jared Kushner's thing. I bet you. I bet you when the boss finds that out, he's gonna be pissed. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, uh, interesting, uh, nice little public display of affection there for for Frank Luntz <laughs> from Tucker Carlson. <laughs> well, so, I mean, you know, it's just it. Tucker's, I'm, Tucker's actual. Said, I'm glad you did it. Tucker, yes. Tucker's actual target there is not Frank. Oh yeah, it shouldn't be. It's Kevin. Yeah. Yep, um, yep. You know, he wants to make sure that the that the next speaker we're gonna you. Know, Speaking of Kevin, there's a high likelihood that Republicans are going to hold the House next year. But you know what? If we don't have the right leadership, that's a completely pointless thing to have. We've said this before. We work so, so hard to uh, help these guys get right uh, and they get right and they don't do right. And that's that has everything to do with leadership. I know we have gone. He's great. He's awful. He's great. He's a genius. He does his work, et cetera. McConnell, I have a love-hate with McConnell personally, but I still remember when he said, oh, if you just get us the majority, we can do all these amazing things, right? And from day one, we're going to do things differently in this town, and that lasted for one vote. There was an open debate on the Keystone Pipeline. Oh, yeah. When the Congress, when McConnell took the Congress, the Senate back, that was the one and only thing that he that, that he did differently, and everything reverted back to exactly the way Everybody. that it has been. Of course, and to the point where the solu- if the solutions caucus would get off of their problem solvers, butts, problem, the problem, solver, problem solvers, solvers would get off their butts and actually and actually do something. They could force. They could if they were going to the do. So, if they were going to do something, they wouldn't put out press releases, right? right. They just do it. All right. Should we move on to the COVID section or the Biden section of the show? The COVID section, if we can keep it short, because uh, I'm, I'm. It is I'm, very short. Because I'm losing pay. I'm losing it's interest in COVID. That made me a bad it's person. Very short. Governor Hogan of the great state of Maryland. Maryland announced that he will offer one hundred dollar financial incentives. Damn. To state employees who oh. received the COVID-19 Just vaccine. state employees, not everybody? We strongly encourage businesses across the state to consider offering incentives to their workers as well. Cheap bastard. Now we are brought, we are literally paying people to take the I shot think it's great. If somebody gave me 100 bucks, I'd do it. So why not? Why not 200? Why don't we start a bid? That's a great answer. Why don't we start bidding with all this money? Can't, are we allowed to call it a Chinese state? auction? My tax dollars is now going to state employees getting paid. I think it's fine. To take a shot. I think it's To fine. get the shot in the arm. Sure, why not? So. For all you know, he's thinking about it like, well, it'll, you know, it'll remove one more excuse. One, there'll be one less excuse for the teachers not to go back in the, in the fall. And one other quick one is that he did lift. He did. Follow the CDC guidance on outdoor masks statewide. But, of course, counties can make their own determination. And guess what our – Montgomery County. Guess what Montgomery County did. No, sir. You keep that mask on outside because it still isn't safe. Do you guys have an outdoor mask mandate? Yep. Like D.C.? Yep. That's crazy. Absolutely. That's crazy talk. So, But I – of course – uh, you know, maybe if maybe if you did my uh, maybe if you could get some kind of decal that indicates you've been vaccinated, 
You mean like a little sticker? I'm thinking like a star on your shirt or something. Mm, yeah. That, a, going, has that going been used for, before? They're going for that. Stuff. Has that been and used so, before? In in the UK, I was informed that uh, children who were required to take a daily a daily COVID test before they could go. Yeah, in, yeah I heard about that. Uh, so if you refuse, you have to wear a sticker. All right. Um, that's that's really kind of. That's all I got. That's all I got. That's kind of, short and sweet. It's kind of terrifying. Short um, and sweet. You want to go to Biden or you want to go to Ted Cruz? I want to go to Biden. Not Ted Cruz? I want to go to Biden. Okay. I got a couple things. A couple of, <laughs> a couple of Biden things. A couple of rapid fires. Okay, so speaking of let, let's let's uh, get over the whole Trump thing, I want to uh, play a clip from Circleback. Uh, I wanted to provide a brief update on the situation at our southern border. Uh, after four years of an immigration system rooted in destructive and chaotic policies, President Biden is taking the challenge head on and is building a fair, orderly, and humane immigration system. That's our objective. After coming into office, uh, our administration immediately jumped into action to address the influx of migrants at the border, something that began during and was exacerbated by the Trump administration. Uh, and wanted to provide a couple of uh, data, pieces of data you may have seen, but they've come out since the last time we had a briefing in here. Okay. Um, that is a lie. A lie. That's a lie. That is a flat out lie. Yeah. This is something they created. The good news is, is that they put Vice President Harris in charge of it, and she's determined that climate change is apparently a cause. Yeah, and let me play one more clip. Oh, yeah. Now is, is what's happening at the southern border, is it a crisis? It is getting urgent action. Now, for example, a month ago, we had thousands of young kids in custody in places they shouldn't be, controlled by the Border Patrol. We have now cut that down dramatically. Here, look, here's what happened, Craig. The failure to have a real transition... The two departments that didn't give us access to virtually anything were the immigration and the defense department. So we didn't find out they had fired a whole lot of people, that they were understaffed considerably. In April alone, Mr. President, 170,000 people, migrants, apprehended at the border. It's a 20-year record. There are 22,000 unaccompanied children in our country right now. That's a, that, that's a record. That sounds to most folks like a crisis. Well, look, it's way down now. We've now gotten control. For example, we have, they didn't plan for, which it comes every year, this flow, whether it's 22,000, 10,000. They didn't have the beds that were available. They didn't plan for the overflow. They didn't plan for the... That's a lie, too. Unbelievable. No, it's totally believable. No, the, it's the, totally unbelievable that they're blaming totally, the the previous totally, administration. Totally believable. I and would too. Joe Biden, President Biden, said emphatically that there were no issues with the transition. Right. Well, the thing about it, that's it, look, it's totally believable. What I was going to say has surprised me is they've decided uh, until the last week of April, first week of May, to blame it on the last administration. It for the last three months they've they've been telling us. There isn't. Not a crisis. Don't exactly. worry about it. So now it turns out what, there is a crisis, and the good news is it's the last guy's fault. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm certain that their communications team at the at the big house is great and the best and the brightest and all that other stuff. But if you're going to start that, the day to start that is on January 21st where you get in and say, this thing's terrible. It's going to take us a month just to mop the floors. So I saw this on our favorite um, social media uh, 
platform. Twitter's Twitter. Hor- Twitter's horrible. Get off it. A letter was sent. Uh, a lady took a picture of her letter from the IRS, and she was obviously nervous because, as you know, you don't get phone calls from the IRS. You yeah, get letters man. Yeah, man. from the IRS. Oh, yeah, I know this one. Yeah. So, uh, dear fellow American, on March 11th, I signed into law the American Rescue Plan that will help vaccinate America. Yada, yada, yada. A key part of this plan is direct payments of 1400 per person for most households. Uh, on and on and on to learn more. I look forward to brighter days ahead, et cetera, et cetera. Sincerely, President Joseph R. Biden Jr. Now, didn't the didn't the media like shut up? Don't be mean. Didn't the media don't like, be mean. Just pounce on President Trump okay, for having off, the audacity Tom, to consider Tom. sending the checks in the mail with his signature on it. Only Republicans. I, I don't understand. Only, oh, am I confused about something? Yeah, I'm just telling you. Only Republicans pounce. That's like no, the they first seize, rule. They seize, too. Okay. They've graduated to seize. seize. Yeah, they seize, but they pounce. They seize and pounce. Um, um, so only Republicans pounce. The media simply wanders into things. I don't know what they... But yeah, so the good news there is is that President Biden's not going to have his name on anything that's going to take credit for this. <laughs> the bad news is is that he did, in fact, get his name on something that takes credit for this. So it has not been a good week or so for the administration. I mean, to you know, not to, not to um, use the wrong word here, but to get slapped by Tim Scott and then have all this stuff happen inside the same couple of days. Not good. You you probably don't see the world the same way though, Mike, because according to the media, this uh, this was a, a a whopper of a successful week, especially the speech. Hold on. Oh no. President Biden delivers his first address to Congress, laying out a bold plan to rebuild the country. The president of the United States offering a bold new plan. Big, bold, huge, progressive ideas. Big and bold, really bold, sweeping legislation. Big, bold, ambitious plans. We've been talking uh, over these last few moments about (laughs) how bold (laughs) these plans are, how ambitious they are. Perhaps the most ambitious progressive agenda since LBJ or even Franklin Roosevelt. Like FDR or LBJ. It is either Johnsonian or Rooseveltian. Oh, this my goodness. This joint address like we have never seen before. The president, though, seizing this moment to outline his sweeping ambitious agenda. President Biden laying out ambitious plans to Congress. Ambitious in scope, intimate in tone. He was whispering at times. The president also laying out his ambitious. 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 Ambitious agenda. agenda. An ambitious agenda for the future. Four trillion dollars in spending. That's really ambitious. Ambitious, uh, but may ultimately prove very popular. It's, it's a very popular plan, according to our polls. Uh, a lot of the things that are in those spending packages are incredibly popular. Given that level of support in those polls, can't you try to cut a deal here? Bold, ambitious, and popular across the board, ladies and gentlemen. You know, the sad thing is, is that these guys get paid money to be that. I mean, to be stenographers. It's ridiculous. I mean, the good news is, is somebody did that for me, because the bad news is, I literally watched none of it. I know. I mean, I I love the super cuts. You you can find them. I'm like, I'm like Americans. I'm like most Americans. You know, 20 million people watch that thing. And it's 16 million, somewhere between 16 and 20 million people watch that thing, which means 300 million didn't. So, so I'm going to um, cut over to the post speech 
I want to do a couple of clips from Biden's uh, train tour, his whistle stop tour, where he went uh, up to Philly. Yeah, uh, and he, he also hit 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 his hometown. Well, Wilmington is thirty miles down. You just stop. The train stops there. It's not yeah, like you yeah. have a choice. But I want to I want to do a, a kind of a compilation here of a few a few of his off the cuff remarks. The best to the hit, the greatest hits. All right, here we go. Bring me back to 33 Station. Blake, you didn't, uh, you didn't treat each other like family. You are family. Please sit down, guys. Sit down. <laughs> that was his intro. Hold on, hold on. I got another one for, for the intro. The thank yous, right? Because Delaware is so small, it is a con- there was a case in the Supreme Court. Delaware, the state of, owns the Delaware River up to the high water mark in New Jersey. Just want you to know that. You got to treat us with more respect. And uh, Mayor Kenny, thanks for the passport. Great friend. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. You're doing a heck of a job. Also, Justin Gray. I've mentioned Justin already and his dad. Uh, and Greg Weaver Jr. Uh, Greg, you're, you are family. Uh, I mean, excuse me, Blake. <laughs> so, so, I might have inverted those. But uh, those are those were his greetings. It, it you're but uh, you're you're just like family, and I'm not going to be able to remember your name. It, you know, it's like <laughs> it's like it's like the it's like the last scene from Tommy Boy, right, where he's going through the crowd at, uh, of the, the the folks at Callahan Brake Pads, and he's like, yeah, you know, Dave, you know, we 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 burned dance together back when we were kids, and. Hey, Rob, I, I lost your I lost my virginity to your daughter. <laughs> Sam, you were there too. This is the same thing. It's like, except he of course can't remember anybody's names. Blake or Dave or Susan, whatever you your family. You're all family. Sit down. Right. All y'all. And also he he waxes poetically about uh the his old Senate days when he took the train home every day. You no, know, in thirty six years. Every single day that I was in the United States Senate. Got the, these, these either the seven twenty eight. It became the seven thirty two, and or and got home on. If I got lucky, I got the I got the metro that left the last one left at six, or I got the seven thirty coming home. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> sorry. So you know, I went to school in Philly, so I know what he's trying to say, but it's like everything else. It's such hash. You're having trouble in the metro. He means the metro liner, um, and you know the funny thing is. The last metro liner out of D.C. is not 6 o'clock. The last metro liner out of D.C. I think is 8.30. Okay, but, the but funny, you know, it's no, just, The funny thing is, is the word salad. It's just it's like 7.30, Everything two. just bleeds together. Like oh, he's, he's in his mind, he's got like a perfectly coherent string of words coming out of his mouth. Like these. Two-thirds of all the high-speed rail in, 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 in the world. 220 miles an hour. And the way, and they're, they're working on uh, transit on trains that can go as high as 400 miles an hour. We're behind the curve. We're behind the curve. <laughs> are, are we going to listen to the thing about Tampa and Charlotte? Yeah, we're going to give up. Uh, on who? Uh, about the Tampa and Charlotte things. Are we going to give up on those? It's okay. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no, it's fine. I just want to point out real quick that we have one active high-speed rail um, project in the United States. It's in California. The current price is like $9 billion to go from nowhere to nowhere in the state of California. That's high-speed rail, ladies and gentlemen. It's more. If you think about it, 
one great contributors to our country is we have to invest. And so, you know, uh, if you think about it, <laughs> when we were, when I was vice president with Barack, he allowed me to put together a budget for Amtrak. Okay, but. But 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 there's more. Hold, Hold on. on. Here's part two. Here's part two. If you think about it, he allowed me to put together a budget for Amtrak, and it had money for high-speed rail at 200 miles an hour from from uh, uh, Char excuse me from Charlotte, one uh, another line going from in Florida down to Tampa, another line. If we had moved, gov, we'd have that tunnel fixed in New York now. The money was there to get it done. <laughs> so a line from Florida to Tampa and then a tunnel in there. You know, the terrible thing is I've been around transportation long enough. I know what he's talking about, but anybody else would be like, what the, what is this guy right. talking about? If, if we would have been done by now, come on. If okay. you think about it, Blake is a family member, although his real name happens to be Gary. So, so Sen Senator, current Senator Scott. Tim Scott. If you think about it. No, not it. Senator Scott, the other one, the Florida guy. Rick Scott. Rick Scott. Told Obama, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want your train money from Orlando to Tampa. Why That's why that didn't get built, because he didn't want all the strings, and he didn't want the fact that he knew that the state was going to end up paying the lion's share of the overages and everything else on that boondoggle. The California boondoggle, IR, has... our organization has done a ton of good work on that issue, Whoa. talking about how... And incomprehensibly expensive. Yeah, it's nine. It's nine billion dollars. The per the is. per mile is ridiculous. The great thing about the thing in California, though, is it's being funded not primarily but significantly through cap and trade revenues. So, you know, it's good. It's socially virtuous. Nobody go. wants to ride on the things, but it's great. It just like, you know, this is this is what happens when you're elected president from the Northeast Corridor, right? Hey, Amtrak's great. It works great from from New York to to Washington, and sometimes from New York to Washington, and sometimes Boston to New York, and vice versa. But it doesn't work anywhere else right. in the country. All right. Uh, and by well, the way, we invented since we did the rails. Just so you know, real quick, we invented this thing. It's a it's a um, essentially a robot that you have to um, manipulate a little bit, but you get in it and it takes you where you want to go. Like exactly point to point, and when when you want to do it, the the kids down at the at the factory are calling them automobiles. It's kind of weird, but okay, I think it's going to sweep the, the world. Two hundred mile an hour thing, though. Those cars can't go two hundred miles an hour, but they have something else. It's really big. It's it's kind of round shaped, like kind of a missile. It's so, got these wings. So there's these bicycle guys out in right? out. In, there's these bicycle guys out in Dayton. And they have this crazy idea. <laughs> yeah, they, they Just hold, stay thing. with me, stay with me here. Where you could go Ooh. like 600 miles an hour and you can get from one side of the country to the other in roughly four and a half to five hours. In all fairness. And then get in one of those other things that you you were this, talking this about automobile earlier, thing once you yeah. get, once you get uh, this, to that this other horseless place. carriage it it you know the terrible thing is uh, we probably should accommodate for the fact that a lot of this stuff wasn't invented when he was a younger person that's true so that's very true we're being a little hard on him. all right one last clip from his um post speech tour which as you heard from the media was a robust and smashing success uh, and it's all there's a there's an alternative mo uh, motive for me for playing this one as well. As I said last night, 
The middle class and working people of this country are already paying enough in taxes. It's time for the richest 1% of Americans and corporate America to start to do their part. Let me just give you a simple fact. Last year, for example, 55 of our largest corporations in America paid zero dollars in federal tax. Zero. And they made $40 billion. Not a penny in tax. Folks, if in fact we had a minimum book tax for corporations, for the fortune, just the Fortune 500 companies, just a minimum tax of 15%, bet all you'd sign up for 15% tax right now. If in fact it was just 15%, we'd raise $230 billion. Pay for all this. Well, okay, well, how many? There's some fuzzy math in here, Mike. Will you please help us break down some of this fuzzy math? But before you do, okay, honestly, are they still having these these car rallies? Hong Kong. I do. Okay, between this the the rousingly successful speech and the the distancing and the car rallies, um, and and wearing you know seeing. Roslyn and and President Carter the weirdest, inside in the weirdest picture <laughs> yeah, ever. We'll put the picture in the show notes. Too. The weirdest picture, the picture ever, without a mask, and then walking outside and putting the mask on, even after his own CDC. Okay, I know I wasn't going to do more Corona, but I'm getting real tired of the Can't imagery resist. here. Can't resist. This will all end when when they get their spending bill done. Oh, I assume so. Until then, we are still in 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 the fear mode. But yeah. but go ahead and try to unpack that for well, us, so will you? The fifty five richest, biggest companies. Um, I can't believe the of the fifty five guys at the top end of the Fortune five hundred that that nobody pays taxes. Right, they're net zero. But maybe ding, um, that's one. Anything's possible. Um, I guarantee you, they didn't make forty billion dollars last ding, year. Ding, that's two. I mean, Amazon probably made. A hundred billion dollars last year by itself, or fifty billion, or some number like that by itself, right? So, the top fifty-five probably made more like four hundred billion. So I don't know where he picked that number up. The idea of this book tax is going to make you two hundred thirty billion dollars. I mean, I guess you depends on where you um on what you place it on and like all that other stuff. But think of it as a a, a corporate that, AMT. That's a folks. perfect like I said. That's a perfect analogy. It's a corporate AMT, right? And like the AMT, it's going to get. It's going to get lawyered to death, right? But the other thing, the uh, the last thing he said was, "Hey, two hundred thirty billion is going to pay for this whole thing." <laughs> wait, that's been, wait I'm, a minute. Like, I'm like, what? I thought it was four point up to four point one. It says right here in the hill, four point one trillion dollar plans. Well, we we so so uh, we got a column. We got a column coming. I got a column coming. It's going to outline the reality of it. About five point five trillion is what their actual number is. The Penn guys came up with two and a half trillion for the um, families thing this morning. They literally just dropped it this morning. And when you actually go back through and look at the taxes for the infrastructure thing and the spending, it's going to be about three trillion. So you're about five point five trillion. I don't know where he gets this two hundred thirty billion is going to solve all this. Two hundred thirty billion doesn't even two hundred thirty billion doesn't even tip the waiters at this thing. I mean, I, I don't know what he's talking about. But don't forget, he's gonna. He wants more money for the IRS to enforce. Uh, that, that's you nonsense. Know, and that's gonna pick up. That's the other lion's nonsense. Share. So the CBO. Okay. So the CBO. <laughs> last year, not a million years ago, last year, the CBO said if you gave the IRS forty billion dollars, they could maybe give you one hundred and three billion dollars in extra revenue in the budget window, right? So this idea that there's seven hundred billion dollars out there to get—that's nonsense, right? 
Um, this idea that the top 55 people pay uh, corporations pay no taxes, that's nonsense too because if they didn't, it's because they took advantage of all the tax credits you dummies have embedded in the code, right? It's not because somehow they've eluded the taxes. You know, for a guy who's bold and what was the rest of that stuff? Bold, bold popular. Popular, and there was a third one, right? Whatever. Bold, popular, and incomprehensible. Ambitious. Incomprehensible. Ambitious. I'm, I'm going to go with the incomprehensible. Bold, incomprehensible, and popular. He doesn't seem to have any command of any facts. None. And, and we, but where are the fact checkers? Where are Where's the media covering all this stuff? Please. Where are they? So, so the reporters, right? You know, the administration has counted all its costs in the first eight years of the budget window. They don't give us the last two, right? And they've cost they've they've counted all the tax revenues in the last you know across fifteen years. That's not how this stuff's done, and every reporter must know that. And nobody has said a word about it. My admiration for the media is never particularly high, right? There's some reporters I think very highly of, and there's others who I think are terrible. Um, but this has been a collective failure. I will point out that Emma Domain over at E&E um, basically transcribed the um, press release from the Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions on their Washington fly-in and palmed it off as a stud as a story this morning, which really annoyed me very greatly. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, at least do it to one of our press releases. Seriously. Anyway, I digress. It it you think about world sa word salads? That whole thing was just a number salad. None of it made yeah, any no, sense. It was none. Uh, it was... None. I have no idea what he's trying to say. And you know the great thing is there was no cleanup from the administration saying here's what the president meant to say. So taxes and spending. Yeah, man. we're back. We're back to as we've said. We're back to the the tried and true plan playbook for the Dems, but some some congressional Democrats are anxious. <laughs> I would be too. Over the size of his domestic policy agenda. A number of Democrats are beginning, this is from the Hill, are beginning to fret over President Biden's big spending proposals, worrying the steep price tag could cost the party in the 2022 midterms. Uh, yeah, we've already, that, that bridge has already been crossed. I mean, it, it, the, the proposals are out there. I don't know what they want us to do about it. It, so, it, it, if you're really concerned, here's your choice. Vote no. You could always vote no, but you and I both know that nobody's going to vote no. Yeah. Everyone, oh, these lemmings are going to, these lemmings are going to, are going to yeah, wander off the cliff. Yeah, are actually really good at sacrificing them, themselves well, in midterms. Like the leadership, it was under Obama too. Sure. Under, this is, uh, let's not kid ourselves. This is Obama's third term, but. I like to think of it as Bill Clinton's fifth term, but okay. But. The the party did not care about who they who was going to fall off the cliff in the midterms after the health care and cap and trade debacles as well. And they paid a hefty price. They took a shellacking at the polls in the midterms. And the amazing thing is, is the Republicans, it's not like because the Republicans have a grand messaging strategy brought to you by Frank Luntz. It's that the Democrats do so much damage to the sensibility that, that I'm sorry that the voters sensibilities are like, wait a minute. Don't you something rent? is off here? Uh, this we have to put a check on this. Don't you? Rent it's exactly what I've, we've talked about with New York City, where where they elect these crazy people, the city goes to hell, and then they have to clean it up. So they vote for someone who has some management, uh, you know, experience or whatever. Don't right? you? Don't you rent a room from Frank? So really, it's you're not. Just, you're, you guys <laughs> are just. It's not the Republicans versus the Democrats. It's the Democrats versus the Democrats. Well, you, right? You know, earlier the Democrats on, always do this. Like they, yeah. they just they seize, they pounce. Well, earlier and then on, they get shellacked. 
at the at the polls. Well, earlier on in this in this in our thirty fifth episode, I said that if you're Abigail Spanberger, Congresswoman Spanberger from the Virginia seventh, you need to think about raising a bunch of money and trying to bigfoot the nearest Republican competitor. Or you need to think about what you're going to do after you're becoming a uh, after you're done being a congresswoman. You notice what I didn't say? What I didn't give is the third option that you vote against this stuff, because none of them are going to vote against it. Because the idea of going contrary to their party is just something most Democrats are not going to be able to do. Truthfully, it's something most Republicans are not going to be I able to do. Say, that's not a Democrat um, phenomenon um, any longer. But so. but 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 it it. Abigail Spanberger, she knows this thing's going to be toxic. She's going to vote for all of it. I think that we're going to come to a time when, and and some members are getting this. Uh, unfortunately, it's mostly the progressives at this point. But the the amount of money that's needed in politics, uh, it, it's not like too much, in my opinion. Uh, I know that's a, a favorite talking point of the progressives. It's how it's raised that's the issue. And these days, the, the, the ability to raise a lot of money, a little bit of money from a lot of people, yeah, man. I think will ultimately change this dynamic. I think the leaderships in the House uh, of, the, of the parties are going to have less and less of a grip on their members, especially those who can tap into those populist pockets Lorraine. in, in, either, in Lauren, either one Lauren, of their bases. Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. You're thinking about guys like that? Yeah. Yeah. The Stefanik, for example. I mean, she's a she's yeah. an aggressive fundraiser because she, yeah. she also raises a lot of little dollars. Yeah, there's something to that, right? So, so you know, hopefully that's a good thing that comes out of all this stuff, ultimately. I'm going to say okay. <laughs> I'm profoundly skeptical, but I'm just going to say okay. Or maybe you'll get a, a, a coalition of Democrats and Republicans who actually don't. We could call them. Could we care less about their. We could call them the problem solvers caucus. <laughs> <laughs> they could put out press releases. Okay, I missed this the last go round, but I want to play this clip from a state senator from Nebraska, who uh, Nebraska was was debating a school choice bill, mm -hmm. and uh, his name is Justin Wayne. He's a Democrat, um, and yeah, he's ex yeah. ex explaining that he's voting against. He's voting for the school choice bill, um, and and I encourage everyone to to read his full speech because it's really inspirational. Uh, but I want to get to the to the point where he'll actually vote against it if some of his colleagues agree to to, to a thing or two. Here it is. I said this earlier, and I want to repeat it because it's just it's just a profound thing that the only people who are opposing school choice today are the same people who have choice, and many of them exercise that choice this has been a very growing pain for me as i was against this bill my freshman year and the last three four years struggled where i was going to be on it but my community can't wait anymore so here's my offer to all of the people here who have kids here's my offer I will vote to kill this bill if you send your kids to one of the kids schools in my district that were waiting to turn around. If you do that, Senator Day, Senator Kavanaugh, John Kavanaugh, I know Michaela will. Everybody get on the mic and let's make that promise. Let's transfer the kids. So as we spend six, seven years in elementary school changing a school, 
your kid be a part of that change. And when they fall behind, when they don't have the resources, allegedly, when they're dealing with suspensions and things like that, then we can all go through it together. That's what I mean by let's have a real honest conversation. Don't make a choice that you won't allow anybody else to make just based off of income. Because that's what we're talking about. Yeah. That's got to be a tough thing to do, right? Call your own guys out? By name. Yeah, man. By name even. Um, But, you know, if you're not. If you're not there to, if you're not there for the next generation, what the hell are you there for? I'm sure that's what that guy ultimately is thinking about. He's like, what am I here for? Why am I wasting my time? The, the great big giant struggle, and this is a, this is a, a terrible but truthful thing. The great big giant struggle in the African-American community in this country is not racism. The great big giant struggle is, is that they are hostages in mostly, almost entirely, democratic operations. Education, housing, in the big cities, but even in the inner suburbs now. And they must know, they must know um, that some significant chunk of white America doesn't, is fully aware of that and doesn't care about it. And, um, you know, if I was a Republican, I'd be talking about that almost every day. Uh, I, I'm like, look, if you're serious about this stuff, you have got to do something for these people because otherwise you can't get angry at them when they grow up to be recidivist see, criminals and, and have troubled lives. We've seen the, the it, videos it, where the guy running against uh, Maxine Waters was walking through yes, her district. Yes. And, and right? I'm, I'm so President glad. President Trump started this. I know. And that's and, and it's the great one of the greatest things he did. He He had... As much honesty in this conversation, more honesty than anybody has had in this conversation in my lifetime. He's just like, guys, you are seriously, if you keep doing the same thing, you are seriously going to get the same result. Yeah, and I'm going to get a bunch of heat for this, but, and and he wasn't dishonest no. about it, unlike no. a, a certain president that we had. Oh, this, this, this you know, this, this current guy. Look. Not the current guy. Oh, the previous guy? The previous guy before Donald Trump, yeah, yeah, Barack look, Obama. Look, there's, there is, no Democrat is ever going to take on questions about school choice, about criminality, about housing, because it would indict their own operations, right? Detroit hasn't been run by the Republicans for 70 years. Philly. Baltimore. You know, Baltimore. You, you can go around, DC. you know, just it. And and for, for a guy like the state senator, to um, be brave enough to get up and say that, hey, why don't you guys come live our lives for a while? He's right. Um, he's, it's a terrible thing. He's right. It's the biggest breakdown of the system. Um, and, you know, and we all know it. And, and we don't care enough to do anything about it. And that's just that. And, and Tim Scott um, is maybe a guy who can say something about it, right? Maybe, Full. maybe do something about it here. And, and, and that's a lot of burden on his yeah, shoulders. I was just going to say, that's a um, heavy burden. It but. is. Um, but like I said, it, it's the biggest single breakdown in public policy in my life. Full stop, including Vietnam, full stop, right? Because yeah. Vietnam only killed 50, 58,000 people. 
Okay, so we we have a, a millennial brand strategist who um, informed us that we need to incorporate maybe maybe close out these episodes with with a, a lighter, a little bit more of a feel good story. Uh, we're gonna try it out this week and see how it goes, and love some feedback from our audience. Actually, that's a total lie. We don't care about feedback from our audience. What you're going to hear is um, Roughnet Odor, who's a second baseman for the Texas Rangers, got into a brawl with a guy named Jose Bautista a couple, three, four years back, who he thought had come in a little bit hard on him at a play at second base, but who had also flipped a bat um, pretty dismissively against the Rangers in the year in the playoffs the year before. And the reason why we're running it is because we're both Yankee fans, and the Yankees picked up Roughnet Odor for literally nothing. They're paying him nothing. Right. The Rangers um, are picking up his entire salary because they released him. And, and, and I don't understand why anybody would release a guy like this who clearly is like, let's just mix it up. Let's make it happen. Right. Well, the reason that we're – pulling this clip is because yesterday yeah man he had another play at the plate he had a play at the plate which is not really done anymore no like he ran hard yeah on an on a beautiful error by alex bragman couldn't have happened to a nice terrible guy. terrible person he probably invented twitter in his spare time bragman. <laughs> so bregman like tries to throw out dj or dj let me he was up yeah, yeah. And he overthrows, and, and the bases are loaded. Yep. Runit is on first, yep, and he runs hard all the way through the play, barrels over the catcher, hurts his knee, hopefully didn't give the catcher a concussion. We don't want that to happen. But you picked up picked up something. Of, what did, What was the commentary about yeah, Odor? Yeah, Eric Kratz, who, who played the Yankees for a couple of years, right? Kratz just said that... that what Odor brings is a certain amount of swag, right? The, you know, the, the swag or the Yankees are professional and kind of buttoned down. And Rough Dead's just like, I don't care about any of that stuff. He's I'm a here brawler. To, He's I'm a here scrapper. To, I'm here to play baseball. So he had a hard hit yesterday, totally legit, no complaints, scored an extra run insurance run for the Yankees to win the game. And by the way, a couple of these Yankees are heating up, fortunately. Sure, man. Uh, unfortunately, though, DJ, where, what's going he'll, on with he'll him? He'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. He'll eventually hit back to his. I think it's because he signed his big contract. That's it always it. happens to That's these guys. It. Everybody they sign gets their lazy. big contract, and they have a bad year. That's the, a sausage on coming through. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. see it now. I'm not saying he's pulling back. I'm I know just exactly saying what he's you're like saying. The money's in his head, right? Yeah, like I said, that's All a sausage right. on. So, so, so thank you for the feedback, millennial marketer. Brand we're gonna, strategist. We're going to play this 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 clip, this feel good clip this to feel come good. out of the show. Here we go. <laughs> then it's on. Odor wasn't happy. He clocks Bautista. Oh, bam! Whoa. Whoa. That's an all time sports punch. Odor with a shot at a boxer would be proud of. I credit Bautista. He didn't go down. <laughs> injections in the game. Rangers ended up winning seven to six. <laughs> oh! We're gonna throw the we're gonna throw the clip in the show. You got to look at this. Your light moment, Mike Tyson. <laughs> forget it. He clocked him. It was beautiful. <laughs> Time to go. It is a wrap. Episode thirty-five in the books. Hey!